Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And welcome to another episode of TDPS Presents, Christopher. And Eric. Woohoo! We did our opening right again this week. Christopher's really taken with I this. really am, because we, Do you remember you know... when he figured out how to cook chicken? <laughs> it was like... The toast of social media. It was all he could talk you about. You taught for about me six how months. to cook chicken. It wasn't just chicken. It was seasoned chicken breast that you could bake in the oven and then eat all week long. It was like my whole life had changed. Here I was, this poor little boy, wandering <laughs> to a different restaurant every night until my accountant said, Where are you eating? Oh my God, go on peanut butter and jelly diet or something. This is whatever. Um, that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're not here to talk about my well, profligate you know, spending. Well, we're here to talk about whatever we fucking will feel like. I think that's sort of the point, <laughs> isn't it? That's what our tagline is. Whatever we fucking will feel that's like. That's right. Christopher and Eric, whatever we fucking feel like talking about. Uh, having our say. What was having our say? It was like some old play about older women talking about their lives or oh, something. Was it, it was actually a really good play about these two sisters. Did, did, old it, doesn't mean not good. It's I just a real meant... story. Well, they weren't the whole time. It's a, the real story of these uh, sisters who, I mean, were everywhere. They knew Booker T. Washington and they knew um, Martin Luther King. And they were, they. it was the story of their lives wow. as told uh, through this whole series of, yeah, it was really kind of an amazing sort of historical look. And they were real people. Okay. So it was, it was also amazing in that sense of like, wow, what a life that you led. Because- you know, across the like Felice Picano's book, the uh, like people in history, like people in history, great book, had that highly kind recommended. Of story. Yes. I love that too. That sort of getting a sense of history as you look through the the eyes of the, like the people in the story. People in history is, I believe, going to be re released. It's not currently available in ebook, but there is a small press called. I know. I was shocked when I discovered that too. I went looking for it. Uh, it is coming out again in a new edition from Requeered Tales or Requeered Press. I, I will post the correct name on uh, the Facebook page. Or but perhaps they'll come up with they'll one. Be, <laughs> they'll be, we're not starting a debate about queer, are we? I just, We have a whole whatever. Dateline episode to talk about. But um, yeah, it's not my favorite term of identification either. But it is the name of the press and they're bringing out the book uh, at some point. But yeah, it's, it's on its way back out. So thought I'd throw that out there. Okay. Okay. It's time. We have a lot to talk about with the episode that we're talking I about am today. You what for true what crime an TV amazing, club? This Holy is really a trap. We we picked a winner this week, and I wow. Um, it is an episode of Dateline called "The Thing About Pam." If you want to stop listening and watch it so that you can understand what we're talking about, that said, you will have a better understanding. We will do our best, as we always do here on True Crime TV Club, to explain the episode to you so that you do not have to have seen it to know what we're talking about. We are writers. We are storytellers. We are going to try to paint the picture of this episode for you, and we're going to have no trouble doing it because we were both completely fucking obsessed Oh my God. with this, this episode. This is such an amazing episode. Okay. The Truth About Pam. We begin... In a, I guess it's a suburb of St. Louis or a small town outside yeah. St. Louis called Troy, Missouri. Okay, right. I think it may have come up in uh, Mark Twain's <laughs> books. I think Pam was probably a character in all of Mark Twain's books. Um, so it's hard to tell. You don't want to give too much away, so you don't want to tell who's point There's of view. There's this wonderful woman, yes, who um kind of 
kind of a party girl who's grown up. She has children and she's married and she's worked at an insurance company, but she's also a DJ and she's kind of the life of the party. Betsy Farina is her name. And she gets cancer. Yes. And she beats it and then it comes back. Absolutely. And so she's fighting it and she's having a hard time, but she's doing her best. And she's married to a man named Russ who loves her and is very supportive of her and has been through it once before and is trying to help her through it again. And they are dealing with the challenges of that. And then one night. A call comes into the 911 dispatch from Russ Farina. Uh, he is absolutely hysterical. He is weeping. And what he's saying is, my wife killed herself. And the 911 dispatcher, who, it's a tough job, and I don't want to be too judgmental, was maybe a little blasé for me about the whole thing, but you got to have coping skills when you're talking uh, to the traumatized. Know. No judgment. It was, yeah. it was a little Bit sort much. of, uh, okay, little she says to him at one point. Uh, he's hysterical. And he's saying, my wife stabbed herself. She she cut, stabbed herself with a knife. There's and a knife sticking out her, of her neck. There's a knife sticking out of her neck, and she cut her arms with it, I think is what he says. Yeah. Which is a strange call to make. To, it's a strange way to kill yourself. I don't know if it is a way to kill yourself, but it is I what he know. did. don't know. I haven't ever killed myself. I so. know. Good. Good. But it wouldn't I be like with you. a knife. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, the police arrive. They discover that the scene is as he has described it. Betsy has been stabbed, I think they said 25 50. times. 50 times she's been stabbed. The knife is sticking out of her neck. They don't tell him that immediately, though. They, yeah. He goes with them, still hysterical, yeah. to the police station to make a statement as they sort through the scene. Yeah. The, the first shot we get of him in the interrogation room on the typically low-quality interrogation room cameras, he's bent over the table in front of him. He's got a, he's got a white blanket wrapped around him, and he's sobbing hysterically. I mean, he is really just hysterical. Yeah. He has been out at a game night with his friends. Um, he's texted with his wife like he didn't – no sense that there was ever any problem. He – they exchanged information about what did he want her. She was at her mother's, and so did she want him to come pick her up? And she said no. She was going to get a ride with her friend Pam back to her house. Enter Pam Hupp is and her so name. While they are interviewing him, they are also speaking with Pam, and she's telling her own story. Betsy, is it, that's right. Betsy was um, hated her marriage, had a terrible relation with Russ. Um, she's the life of the party and has zillions of best friends. But she just, she and her husband were not getting along, and not. She's got a lot to say about Betsy's marriage, and she's saying it in great detail and with very little provocation to the police who are interviewing her, because she is, in fact, other than Russ. Depend the way the story is unfolding, the last person to have seen Betsy alive. Absolutely. So, okay, there's so much in this episode. I don't want to get confused or jump out of timeline. So, okay, so they, I'm trying to remember what it was. The police are basically zeroing in on Russ because they're most likely suspect. As Forenza says on um, The Closer, it's always the husband. Always. Always the husband. There's also blood all over the house. Uh, there is a pair of Russ's slippers, uh, bed slippers that have uh, Betsy's blood on them that are in his closet. And maybe even clothes of his that have. Yeah. Light switches, blood on light switches, all that sort of stuff. Okay. So um, 
the uh, Betsy's mother is given the death notification by the police. She is not happy with how the notification is delivered. She says the cops just walk in and say, Betsy's dead. But they do that to see what your reaction is going to be. Yeah, I think they leave that out, that the mother is also a potential suspect. You know, the yeah. whole, everybody in the family is a suspect. Yeah, That's sure, absolutely, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And, um, and she had a really close relationship with Russ and was very, um, you know, felt like he was a son. Yeah. And uh, and so she's very reluctant to think that, that he would have anything to do with it. And it's not clear. They don't make it clear immediately that it's clear to the police that she was murdered. Because if you kill yourself, you don't stab yourself 50 times. That no. just doesn't Can happen. Can you imagine stabbing yourself in the neck? First of all, you'd have to if, – if the neck blow is the – okay, what? You're, stabbing you know, myself? No. Yeah, Cutting okay. my finger seems like no. <laughs> I have not, a paper cut that. and I can't get over it. Oh, you yeah. know, like yeah, I can't. No, that's never going to be uh, a, I'm In all fairness, I'm not yeah, suicidal. It's the Anna but, Karenina thing. I'm not jumping in front of a train either. It's going to be some lovely pills and a quiet <laughs> evening and maybe a good vintage and uh, sitting by the fire. It's not going to be painful. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Don't so understand that. The story is not making a lot of sense. And I think for me, it's that you have to imagine somebody stabbing themselves in the arms and then the throat. Like, so it's just it, nothing. It doesn't work. It, it doesn't work as a suicide. But the 50 times it's out of the question. She yeah. obviously didn't kill herself. She was murdered. But and I and I think it's important to note and not too spoilery that the reason the only person who Russ describes if you believe Russ at this point what he sees when he walks into his house and finds his wife with the knife sticking out of her throat and for some reason if you believe him he has no conception that she could have been murdered he thinks only the only explanation for a knife being in her throat is if Betsy put it there because she's dying and she has told him that it's something that she's considered she yeah. has cancer and she has considered killing herself and he was not happy about it when she told him and the cancer is very serious the cancer was previously treated and went into remission and now it has come back with a vengeance yeah. and it's and it's a matter of time and it's really they think she's probably she was they all knew she was going to die they just didn't think it was going to be by murder or that abruptly. Yeah. So um, the police zero in on Russ. They think he is the 48 hours yeah. initially when he goes in from the crime scene they keep him for 48 hours and question him and he tries to cooperate but you know meanwhile they're getting all the, like Apparently, Betsy went with a friend um, to um, Branford. Well, all of this is now coming out of Pam, who is still talking to police on the other that, side yeah. of town. She says that she and one of uh, Betsy and one of her good friends were going to move to Branson, Missouri to get away from their husbands, which Branson doesn't seem that far from where this is. So I think if you're trying to get away from your husband, I would suggest maybe California or even New York. You know, you have a lot or more. Or a disguise. Or a disguise. <laughs> or Mexico, which is actually pretty affordable for retirees. Oh all this. Sort of, anyway. Um, she is, Pam is just spelling and spinning a tall, tall, tall tale about what a terrible husband Russell is. Well, she's is. spinning a tale. It's yeah. cl- it, like the question at this point is how tall right. is that tale? Mm-hmm. And it, before two, very much longer. She okay. So they the Russell goes to trial. Yeah, they Russell to trial, and it's really like the thing that that has happened that is really suspicious at this point is they discover that. Very shortly before her demise, Betsy has purchased a new life insurance policy and made Pam mm-hmm. the beneficiary. But Pam says that the money is supposed to be for Betsy's children. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want Russ to get his hands on it, so she's going to leave it to Pam so that Pam can give it to her daughters. 
Um, but Pam has all of the money and the prosecutor says you should put this in a trust for the daughters mm-hmm. so that it's clear that the money is for the daughters. So she does, she does. just that because she that's the defense. Because the, the defense is saying Pam is the last person to see her alive. Pam is the one with all of these stories. Like, for instance, the the other wife who went to Branson with uh, Betsy said, yeah, nothing could be further from the truth. We didn't do we that. We weren't trying to get away from our husbands. No. We were just hanging in out fact, and having a good time. In fact, Russ was recommending places for us to go while we were yeah. in Branson. And Russ has just taken her on a cruise to the Bahamas. And like there's like there was great contradictory evidence, but because of Pam's continuing stories about um the problems in and around that, um their marriage, even Russ's family, even Betsy's family, turns against Russ. Yeah, the Russ's mother. mother says, even if you told me proof that there was somebody else, she would still think it was Russ was the... And I know, and we talked about this a lot, a lot on the last episode because we were talking about an episode that was not nearly as well put together as this of another series, 2020, but um, there, there's something, I feel like there was a piece missing there. Like there must have been something that really convinced the mother, Like if, because I think the way they put the question to her is, if somebody stepped forward and showed you a lot of compelling evidence that somebody else would do it, would you believe it? And she says, no, no I, I wouldn't. Would, I think Russ I'd is the killer. I still think it would be Russ. And I feel like there's one piece of evidence that she was sold on that was above and beyond all others. And it can't be the story, the aspects of Pam's story that I was, were falling apart around I her. I was sort of surprised by her taking that. But it was really pretty much across the board. Apparently, the daughters, all of them, wrote Russ off. And, you know, he was very much the, the guy. And Russ really did not, when he when they went to court... Russ did not necessarily think that he was going down for this crime. There was a really good case for somebody else who had more, as much or more of a motive than him mm-hmm. going into the trial, and it was Pam. Yeah, it was Pam because of the life insurance because policy. Because of the life insurance policy and the whole question of the money and that she was the last person to see him. So Pam was really sort of the X factor when they went to trial. <laughs> So when they go to trial, this is one of those moments that you're sometimes confronted with in these documentaries where a judge makes a decision and you're like, hmm. You can you can sort of identify what the defense attorneys go through. The judge right? makes this is similar to what happened with the Menendez brothers, right? Where they oh have Oh my god, don't get me started on that again or the, we'll have that be the whole podcast. They have the first of all, I'll just briefly explain what I'm talking the Menendez about. Menendez sisters, they would have a statue to them in Beverly Hills and they would be married and having a happy life. Because in the first Menendez trial, they were allowed to talk about their um their the alleged abuse. experience of sexual abuse at the hands of their father. And it was incredibly disturbing, and their testimony was incredibly compelling. And in the second trial, the judge excludes all of it. He says they can't talk about it, they can't bring it in, and they are in jail to this day. Yeah. Okay, so that's all we're going to— prison. So there's a decision that the judge makes in this case, and I, I think it's that he excludes all of the—is it the life insurance evidence, or what is he it? He excludes the Pam evidence. He excludes— like, Pam is off the table. Yeah. Like they can't bring in, they can't be presenting that Pam— Russ describes it as having to that his lawyer is having to fight the case with one of his arms tied behind his back. Right. So basically they're in this position. And I think this law depends on what state you're in, which is if you're going to try to prove the innocent, if you're going to try to direct suspicion at somebody else without necessarily bringing them to trial, you're trying to prove somebody's innocence by saying somebody else did it. 
there are different legal requirements based on what state you're in about how you can go about doing it. But I think it's a moot point here because the judge just said you can't fucking do it. Right. You cannot. You cannot point the finger at Pam. You just have to prove that Russell is in or Russ. Yeah. And it was. It had to do with Pam putting that money in that trust. He felt like that it was clear that that money that she was not invested in that money and that there was no. You were not. They were not going to allow them to smear her character. Right. Because she was clearly not taking the money. Absolutely. So he's convicted. And I, I off to prison he off goes. Off to prison. Can you remember what his sentence was? Was he sentenced it was life? To, it was life without the possibility of parole plus thirty years for um, uh, the the violence and the the crime for the yeah. you know committing a crime with violence for stabbing her. And no sooner has Russ been sent to prison, but our friend Pam decides to pull all of the money out of the trust. And won't give any of it to the daughters. And will not give any of it to the daughters who proceed to sue her for the money, which brings this matter to the attention of Russ's defense attorney, who has still not let go of this case, who is still a very uh, dashingly still attractive. still a babe. If he's single and would like, looks yeah, like, I would looks definitely, like Superman. ready to mingle, I would definitely... Go out with that lawyer. retired Superman with a longer haircut. The lawyer that appears later on was more my type because he had big baby lips. But anyway, oh, yeah. yeah, he was still a fine-looking man. But that we're the, not his defense attorney. Just rest assured, as as deep as we're going to go on these cases, we're never going to lose sight of the superficial and the lust-driven. It's still so don't worry. Be it's us. still going to be Christopher and Eric and right. TDPS. So uh, this <laughs> this is maybe my favorite moment. And possibly at any Dateline ever. I've watched a lot of Datelines, but they show a clip from the case, the court case in which the daughters are suing Pam for the money. And you're kind of a little schadenfreude because the daughters turned on Russ and now they can't get any of their money. You know, I missed that piece that they had turned on their dad. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, so they're suing Pam. The lawyer, I guess it's the defense or the plain, whatever, the prosecuting attorney, the lawyer for the, the daughters asked Pam a question that she just doesn't like. And she's literally sitting on the stand. She gets this question. They don't play the question for us. They just show Pam going, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know what you're talking about. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like. She's I'm not, just having it her own way. I am not a legal expert, but I don't think that response has ever served anyone in a court case. I don't think five woes in a row it makes you look and, like a good and witness. And Pam's own attorney subsequently yeah. says, "I don't. I'm not going to say that my uh, my client is cr- at all credible. At but all that's, a credible. But witness. that's not the question to be decided here. And it wasn't. And the daughters lose. They, they lose don't get a dime because they had nothing on paper committing Pam to taking to giving them the money. No, yeah, the I pay, guess it, it was, was like a handshake was, agreement or whatever. The, well, Pam just said it was the agreement. She didn't say there was any agreement. There was no other evidence other than what Pam said. Because if you are not catching on. Pam is crazy. But like a fox, she's crazy. Organized crazy. As Keith Morrison describes in his voiceover at the beginning of the episode, the kind of evil that loves and smiles and supervises. And I was like, oh, God, (laughs) evil that supervises, not that kind of evil. Oh, my God, (laughs) I thought I was out of middle school. (laughs) Supervising evil. Anyway, so Pam, supervising evil, wins the court case and is able to keep the money. However, on her way out of the court, she is captured on camera by the Dateline people who are following up this. And she waves at the camera and says, what was the 
Say hi to Kathy. Say hi to Kathy. And then off she goes. She's just delighted and happy and, you know, couldn't And be... Kathy is the Dateline producer. So also we Of say... this particular segment. There's two segments that are, this, they've this actually is put together. a magnum Dateline, as I call it. This is... They, they did this story on the first murder case a long time ago, and then they've added the rest of the story to it, and it is the season premiere of the 28th season of Dateline, by the and way. And it is... And it a is. good premiere. And so Kathy apparently is the Dateline producer for the first segment that they ever did on the case. And that is why Pam wants to wave and say hi. Now, they don't show Kathy being interviewed by Dateline about the first case. So I don't know if they left that out when they put these two episodes together or what, or if she was never interviewed. Nope. I will because tell you. this is not 2020. They didn't interview <laughs> Kathy. They actually interviewed the people involved with the case. But I will tell you this. In my long history of watching Dateline, and this is when, a, when I could tell, I could see which way the winds were blowing, because Dateline is good at the suspense game. They hold stuff back and they release it when they want to mess with your heads. Um, the prosecutor of the original case against Russ was not interviewed, and it's very rare. Even if they have lost hard, prosecutors and defense attorneys almost inevitably will sit before the cameras for Dateline. That prosecutor shows up nowhere on the show, and we will well, see Well, there was why. that one scene where she was telling her to put yes. the money in the, well, in they, the trust, they, and that's the only the, in footage where she's interviewing right. Pam, but there's I'm talking no about, actual interview footage of her. They're yeah. not sitting across from Keith Morrison saying, absolutely, she was guilty, I, she wasn't. She was innocent, and we had the right... No, none of that from this prosecutor. Not a nowhere. word. So... The court case, uh, Pam prevails, or the in, judge in the court case, or the judge, absolutely. And there's a, the, yeah, and there's something that comes up a little later about the two of them that mm. I think makes it really worth the. Anyway, yeah, we'll get to that. So the lawyer, who I think is super, the retired retired Superman, Superman, says, "Well, this is a new piece of evidence that the jury did not get to hear at the trial. I'm going to take this to appeal. The thing about Pam yes. not giving the daughters the money. Absolutely. And he says this is a long shot, but I'm going to try it anyway. And uh, he, I don't know what he was specifically asking for. I, I know what he got, which was seismic, but I, I don't know if he was just asking for the case to be reviewed or whatever. But the judge looks at this evidence that Pam stripped the money from the trust and he overturns Russ's conviction. And says that the calls the the entire investigation into question and says he has some that he thinks it's very suspicious that the investigation itself he doesn't see as being. Um, particularly solid. And yeah. so Russ is out of jail. Out of jail and entitled to a new trial, which is why we see Russ with some friends. I guess they're work friends. There's a man with giant biceps and I think shots of Guinness saying, well, drink to Russ, I'll be free forever. And he's mugging it up because the Dateline cameras are there as friends of these. The accused are often what to do know, on these celebrate shows. celebrate Russ because yeah, right, you got out of jail. So, so um, Pam goes back to the authorities now. <laughs> and Pam has a new story. <laughs> she and Betsy were lesbian lovers. <laughs> Wait, is that really what she said? Yeah, she miss? says oh that they, she said they, they weren't either of them lesbians, but oh, it was right. just the, the bond between them was so strong that there was just no resisting it. And she, you know, she was looking forward to um, Magic Mike XL. She was not right. a lesbian herself. And neither was Betsy, but it was just too much for the both of them. They were that close that they just couldn't not sleep together, which I was like, 
Because that's how it works. Yeah, that's absolutely. how being gay works. Yeah, You're just, just yeah. It's mm-hmm. just so. Yeah, ask all of your straight friends. There's just a point after which they just have to I, be gay. I'm because, so tired of sleeping with my straight friends. Right, just, because every day just, I have so another straight friend I have to go have sex with. Sorry, yeah. I got to go right now. Actually, I got Bob. Well, we have coming. to finish this. Um, show anyway, first. so okay, so so her story is changing based on it's how still guilty basically she the same story, but she's it's. It's heightened. They're lesbians yeah. now. In the first time they interviewed her, she said, well, she had a lot of best friends. Yeah, zillions of best friends. Yeah. I mean, I was one of them, but she had zillions of and best friends. And now she was her lover. Yeah, exactly. Because the first time- I knew all of the intimate details. If she was too close the first time, she could look like a real suspect as opposed to just the woman who drove her home and heard her complain about her horrible husband. Right. So- Okay, so in this moment, Pam is still not on trial, right? Pam is not on trial oh, for no, the murder. Oh, no, this is his second Betsy. trial. This is Russ's second trial. So, um, And then they, they find the thing that Pam actually planted, I think, in the first murder trial. But the, and because the investigation was so incompetent, yeah. they didn't even find her shitty planted evidence. I think that's another thing, too. I don't think any of the cops from the first investigation were interviewed. Because the, the next, where we're headed, there are a lot of cops in oh, yeah. but I don't, I don't know if any of the cops from the first. I don't remember that. Okay, flags on the field. Flags, flags on, on the field, yes. Magically, mm-hmm. they find a document on on Betsy's computer that is a letter to Pam that Pam told them in the first investigation that, that, that Betsy had said she had sent her an email mm-hmm. uh, that she'd written it and that, um, that all about this, and it's all of Pam's story again about about how he would put a pillow over her face and tell her this is what it's like when you were dying and yeah. how he was going to cash in when she went and how much she hated him and how bad their marriage was and you know and how, yeah. how she was going to give Pam the 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 um I think it covers the insurance policy. Anyway, it's it's, it's, it's like the whole story and it's in on her single spaced. I we need to have a superficial side note about the computer that keeps showing the laptop and it's like they're, they look to me like they were all individually affixed to the computer, but it's like a lot of blue and red bedazzled little jewels. It's very like, bedazzled. Did she put those all on herself? I guess the bedazzler is a device that that, that is built for speed. Well, I think those, <laughs> maybe so, or I think those and things loneliness. come glued to speed mesh, and, and you just tack down the mesh. I hope so, because I would every time they showed but, that computer, yeah, I could not a, see past the bedazzling. It was a lot of bedazzling on a that computer, lot of bedazzling. however it got there. And yes. it was, but it was like American bedazzling, so I guess she was a patriot. You know, it was I guess blue so. and red. Anyway, whatever. The point is, is that they actually have some computer tech guy do a run on the computer. It was written at a time when she was playing. <laughs> it wasn't written on the computer. It wasn't written by her. And it was written at a time when she was playing tennis anyway, so she couldn't have written the letter in the first place. So, hmm, I mean, that's who, a little suspicious. Who hasn't dashed off an email about your husband trying to kill you while playing tennis? I mean, that's like the American pastime. But it really does call it into question, and it gets presented at trial so yeah. that it's more evidence. And the same prosecutor, that same woman who prosecuted him the first time, is back, and she is. He's just, and eye. she's on the um, uh, video from the interrogation room. She's having it. Not, she's not interrogating Pam, but she's having a conversation. And Pam's like, "Why are they doing this?" And she's like, "He's just upset. The lawyer's just upset. He lost. It's just hurt feelings and a, a waste of the taxpayer money." You know, whenever I hear those words, I just think that is probably someone who's bullshitting right now. If, if you're going, the it's a waste of taxpayer you know, money. It is. It is something that's come up a lot recently. 
recently, like if you don't have a case, you attack the process. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> totally. Don't want to go any further yeah. down that rabbit hole, but that is kind of how people who don't have any defense yeah. um, defend themselves by yeah. attacking the process. Attacking the it's process. It's a witch hunt, they will often say. Mm-hmm. Not to name any names, but you know, yeah. it I comes don't want to point any fingers, I say, as I raise my elbow at the picture of the president. We're all obligated to hang in our offices now. Oh, no. Sorry. That's the handmaid's tale. Wouldn't um, happen. So- Look, prosecutor is bitching. She's pretty. Um, she's pretty confident that they're gonna win, even though, as we're explaining, there this is a shit case. Um, and uh, Russ prevails. He is but the- he's but he's like it's down to the wire. They're dicey about like, is this going to work out? Am I gonna get off or am I not gonna get off? Like, it comes right down to the wire. It isn't a sure thing. Even now, even with the preponderance of this case, he's not certain he's gonna be acquitted. So the case goes to trial and um, all of the evidence that we have just discussed that was excluded previously is now included and Russ prevails. He is found innocent of his wife's murder. But the bitch prosecutor, because she so believes that Russ is the murderer, refuses to pursue an investigation of who murdered Betsy, because she, it is her absolute, unshakable contention. She doesn't try for another trial, but she is, but she will not investigate the crime further. And that's really not going to end well for the prosecutor, as we're about to explain. No. Because I don't, how much longer later was it? It was a while later. Like everybody was going about their lives. Everyone on Russ was, and I will tell you, Russ is somebody I would like to be friends with. Mm -hmm. He is not bitter. He is not angry. He is now I he got acquitted. And so, you know, there's that. But even when they interviewed him in prison, he was a man of great equanimity and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And I was really impressed with Ross. Mm -hmm, He mm -hmm. didn't seem like a brain trust or anything, but he seemed like really the nicest, most forgiving guy. Like he had a sense of like, I'm not willing to use burn up my life being angry about this. He really felt like Pam had something to do with it. And he really was distressed that they were not pursuing it. Somebody had murdered his wife who he loved Mm -hmm. and nobody was investigating it. And I don't think he was cool with that, but he managed to be a pretty menschy kind of guy. I wish that there had been a moment, there never was, where that fucking family apologized to him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Never addressed that. Never addressed that. But maybe it's on the podcast that Dateline, because Dateline made like an eight episode podcast about this episode called The Thing About Pam. We haven't listened to it. We're just discussing the, uh, the TV version. Anyway. So, and then the next chapter begins, as they all do on Dateline, with a 911 call. And this time, the 911 call is placed by Pam. And it is played for us, and in a performance that I would describe as less than convincing and a little wooden, (laughs) Pam seems to be shouting at a would-be attacker, no, 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 I will not get in the car with you. Leave me alone. Stop. Let me go. Someone has broken into my house. They're trying to kill me. Help. Bang, bang, bang. Although I don't think the gunshots are on the 911 call, but there are gunshots reported. Or are they? Are they? Okay, so... The cops, we- Because you hear the guy talking. We interview our first cop of the episode, which is a sign that this investigation is going to go better because the cops are willing to talk to the TV people about it. He has a, um, getting 
superficial side note, he has kind of a cute dimple in his chin and a puppy dog face. Not your type, more my type. Yeah. Very gentle. And on his way over, or I think he shortly after he arrives at the scene, somebody says to him, you know this is Pam Hub, right? And he goes, oh, God. Because they all know the case really well, well in this area. We're not in Troy, Missouri anymore. I think we're in a neighboring community, yeah. so we're pretty close by. So uh, they find a body of a white male shot in the house. There's no identification. Pam's story is the guy uh, broke in and tried to kidnap her. What they do find in the guy's pocket is a very detailed list of all the horrible crimes he was apparently planning to commit, which involved... Um, which refer to Pam as Russ's uh, friend, or, or no, it refers to the jump in and help me, Eric. I'm losing. I can't the thread. remember, but they refers to list. Russ. Yeah, there's somebody a, about Russ. And Ru- then, get Russ's money or something Russ's. like that. There, the, the point is, is that the what Pam is claiming is that this person tried to kidnap her at gunpoint, so that they, she he could take her to the bank and get her to withdraw all the money from the trust, so that. Apparently, the money could end up with Russ, right? So she's trying to say Russ is behind this very poorly executed kidnapping attempt, which also resulted in a very unconvincing 911 call. And Pam shooting the guy to death. Shooting the guy to death. Okay, so then. In her home. There are two things that tip the police off that this may not be what they think it is. One is that. 911 calls, FYI, begin recording from the moment the connection is made with the dispatcher. On Pam's 911 call, there is a moment of silence, and then suddenly Pam begins screaming at, a, at an apparent assailant she, who's in the room with her. As soon as she hears the <laughs> operator, but what they're saying is they begin recording you before the operator gets on the line. Yeah. So there's silence until the operator answers, and then suddenly the performance begins. Yeah, ow, and then, help, help. Um, we hear the man saying something in the background that doesn't quite make sense. It appears to be vaguely hostile, but it sounds wooden and strange as well. Okay, and a little alarmed. A little alarmed, like he doesn't really know what's happening. Okay, all of this is going to be important. They're also simultaneously trying to find out the identity of this man, and in so doing, they're looking around a neighboring uh, a trailer park that's right next door to the house where this incident took place. And a woman comes forward and says, you know... Actually, the police call him and say that this woman has filed a complaint. She actually said, she actually went to the police and they said, you're going to want to hear this. And she says, this woman pulled up with short blonde hair and a, in a what, and said, identified herself as being from Dateline. <laughs> and her name was Kathy. Yes. And, and she, this they is were where... Try, she was trying to hire her to appear in a staged... Reenactment for yes. for Dateline, and she would pay her cash um, on the barrel head, without anybody, without any tax being connected to it, and um, all she had to do was come with her, and but she couldn't bring her ID or her phone or her any, phone or her keys or any other. And she sort had of to bring her own blindfold and handcuffs. No, I'm just making but it, it that part. But it was about that suspicious, and the woman still did it. But then the woman began... gets in the car with her, and they start to drive. She says in the wrong direction, which I don't quite know what that means. Like not a place where you would do a reenactment or whatever. And she says, "Please turn around. I, I, I've changed my mind. I don't want to do this." So Pam, to, to her very limited credit, turns around and drops the but woman. She back lies off. to her. And so she has yeah. to go back to the house to lock the house or something. Jesus like she tells her, and then as soon woman. as she's out of the car, she says, "I'm out." Yeah, go find somebody else. So, so 
Um, they the police find the identity of the the shot man who was in Pam's house, and he's identified as having lived in the think in the trailer park that is also where that woman came forward from. And they're thinking, okay, you know, he's white, a young white male. This could be it. He could be part of the plot that she's alleging he's part of. And then they find out that he was so severely injured in a car accident that he was mentally disabled, profoundly, profoundly brain damaged. She's not even capable of complicated physical movements such as running. They said he's not capable of running, but he's also cognitively impaired. In case you didn't think this story could get any more sordid or worse, or hideous. So what basically begins to come together, and they and they find through Pam's cell phone that she was in fact there, and they find by pursuing all of the um, the cameras in between the guy's house and her house, you know the security cameras and whatever of his heaven sent bakery. That's right, heaven sent bakery. I they know had a again. had a. Snapshot of there he is riding by riding in Pam's as, car as a passenger in her car before the shooting. So I don't know if that the, none of that supports the kidnapping story Pam Not was given really. the cops. So what basically becomes clear? Jump in if I'm I'm rolling over anything because this one was packed with just terrifying. And there's stuff. so much left to come. There's so much left to come. I'm like, are we going to get through it all in time? Um, she tricked this poor, mentally disabled man into thinking that he was going to participate in a dateline reenactment with her in her house and then murdered him. Paid him with $100 bills that were sequentially linked to $100 bills that she had in her bedroom. Yes. And put down a piece of carpeting over that the area it. where he was going to fall. That was it. So when she killed him, he wouldn't get blood on her rug. She didn't want to get blood on her rug. And she didn't stop to think that it would look suspicious if she put down an extra piece of carpet to protect her own, uh, her own rug. Keith Morrison, I think in an unprecedented move, referred to her plan as feather-brained. <laughs> I don't know. That's pretty Keith Morrison. It was, I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, yeah, they said it was the worst, most unbelievable. And so finally, the people snap out of it and arrest Pam. And around that time is when we get to meet St. Charles County prosecuting attorney Tim Lomar. And if defense attorney Joel Schwartz was Eric's type, Lomar, with his kissable baby lips and crystal blue eyes and baby face, is very much my type. I call that a hello moment, where you're sitting there watching and you're Uh all absorbed in the crime, and then someone pops up who looks like the man of your dreams, and you're like, hello. 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 It's a hello moment on a dateline. Anyway, um, and he is just not having any of Uh -uh, Pam's bullshit. They drag her ass right in, arrest her, and uh, yeah, tell her that this is just nonsense. So she secretly takes one of their big pens and then asks to go to the ladies' room and stabs herself with the big pen in an effort to kill herself and deflect um, uh, deflect suspicion, which they're completely not having. They said none of the stabbings were life-threatening, and they didn't believe any of it. Her when, wounds were superficial, somebody says. When they first picked her up, to arrest her for the crime, apparently her whole reaction was, it's cold in here. Could you turn down the air conditioning? Wow. Yeah, she's the 
the limit. Yeah, she is the supervising evil, yeah. as Keith Morrison called her. She really is, and it kind of goes like you'd expect this time. Yeah. So, um, also, we should say the name of the poor man that she murdered is Louis Guffenberger. He was her second God victim. God bless his poor God sweetheart. I just that's just the most awful, heinous, cold-blooded, like awful woman. But that really is the worst. Yeah. So she goes to trial. We have to speed through this because there's another chapter I just realized. I, know. I looked at my notes. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, she goes to trial. She's convicted. Well, she takes an Alpert plea. Oh, right. It's plea. the Alpert plea. I think this also comes up in the Which staircase. Which she says, I admit that there is a preponderance of evidence that Which I cannot is- refute. And so I am guilty because of that. But she didn't actually admit. And there is still nothing about Betsy. This is just about killing the guy yeah. who she kidnapped and took to her I house. I think Alpert pleas are weird. This is also plays a pivotal role in The Staircase, right? But I the, haven't seen the documentary, but, but you and I watched a Dateline about The Staircase. But what the but, DA yeah. said was this was a way of getting – she was never – given who she was, she was never actually going to confess to the crime. Yeah. And they – it it for, was a risk. But they were going to give her the death penalty, so their bargaining chip to get her to take the Albert plea – was that they would take the death penalty off the table. And so finally, and they were they even said that on the day that she was supposed to say guilty, mm-hmm. they were not sure until she said it that she was still going to say it. She was oh, yeah. that he said his, his, that. his heart, the prosecuting attorney said his breath caught and he was just sitting there. was a pause before she actually said it because she's a power-hungry, evil Lunatic. monster in human skin. Anyway, um... So she takes the plea. And off she goes to prison. And meanwhile, meanwhile, the prosecutor and the judge from the original case with Betsy, they weren't reelected. Voted out of office. Because and, sometimes the electoral system works. Right? If people are actually allowed to vote directly for the candidate that they're voting for. Absolutely. And not for some fucking representative. Anyway, that's yeah. a different podcast. Different podcast. Um, so the new prosecutor goes back and takes up the Betsy case and when he does he finds there's out. another discovery there's another chapter we're now up to 5 chapters i think in right? this story now he discovers that there is yet another person who was the last who Pam was the last person to see before they mysteriously died and by mysteriously died i mean fell in air quotes was off of the balcony off the balcony at her old nursing folks home. home because the person is Pam's mother <laughs> surely Newman, Pam's mother, died after a suspicious fall from the balcony of her apartment at her nursing home. And, oh, guess what? She also had a life insurance policy. Naming Pam as a beneficiary. So the fact that Pam and Betsy met at the top of the episode in the insurance industry should tell you a lot about where this episode is at. Anyway, so the woman knew her life insurance. I'll say that much more. She definitely knew how to work the life insurance thing. She was, however, one of the worst criminals ever and such an idiot. And the thing that is really the most shocking, as bad as Pam is, is that original judge and prosecutor who just ignored all... All of this overwhelming evidence of this horrible human being yeah. in favor of putting the husband in jail. I, I guess it may always, 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 most of the time be the husband, and it probably is, but it wasn't this time. There was something that was said on the previous episode we discussed in the last show 
that that this, this analysis, the analyst that 2020 was interviewing said the goal of police in the beginning of the ex- investigation is to eliminate suspects, right? Okay. And I feel like because they got in this rut where they couldn't eliminate Russ, like casting suspicion on somebody else was not going to serve the purpose in their minds of eliminating Russ. They had to find something that eliminated Russ. Either he couldn't have been there, all that sort of stuff. I think that's a sort of investigation handicap that comes up a lot. You know, I think it's a it's a weird Jedi mind trick. It's like wordplay, but it's like eliminating the... If you are going in, it's always the husband. Because honestly, cops have these biases because... 99.9% of the cases. Yeah. Right. And we hear about the outlier cases. We hear about the ones that are worth making long podcasts right. about. You know, but if you're in operational, a uh, sort of an operational rut where this is just how you do your job every time, it can be hard for you to get out of it when the evidence. I'm not trying to defend these two people because I think they went way further with the bullshit yeah. than they should have. But I'm not a cop and I didn't have their job. But it is interesting that, that this bias, there's a, there's a podcast out there ca- called um, Culpable Now that is dealing with the same issue about a suicide that could have been a murder and all that sort of stuff. But we're not talking about Culpable. We're talking about the truth about Pam. Which, the thing if, about Pam. Even if you haven't, even after listening to this podcast, you haven't seen it, you should watch. Because this really, woman is a piece of work. I'm going to listen to the podcast because, as I said, I, I've said before. May may actually do the same thing because, yeah. my God, yeah. this was a, a story and such a twisted tale. And it goes on for, like, at least this far. How many people has this sociopath killed to, you know, further her own life. And she was married and had children and was worked in an insurance agency. And, you know, like there's this, this smile, what did he call it? Organizing evil? Supervising Supervising evil. evil. Sometimes She's really, evil supervises. Yeah, it's really. Is, they interview her at the beginning of the episode. They interview her old boss. And he says she was the right arm of my company. She was absolutely rock solid. I could depend on her. Or she was smart. And that's the kind of evil that'll, that's the kind of evil that evades the police. Although I'll have to say the ultimate plan involving the reenactment was not as well put together. It was not evil genius level. Well, was... and none of the plans really were. And that's really the part that is that I put on the prosecutor and the judge. Like, I'm sorry. So like three days before she's murdered, she signs over an insurance policy to you mm-hmm. as the beneficiary. You're the last person to see her before she dies. And you put together this bullshit story that doesn't actually match up with other people's say and about y- Roz. You, the prosecutor, are the ones who pressure her to take out the trust and put the life insurance money in it. She doesn't come up she with that of her, her own. She even they have her even in a deposition later in the episode saying, I took out the trust because I was being pressured to by the family and the prosecutor. She doesn't say, I because I thought it was the good idea to show everybody where my intentions really She also really says under oath at one point that the reason that you might lie to people who are questioning you is because they keep asking you the same that thing was, over and over that again. That was the other side of the whoa, 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 whoa. I was probably lying because if somebody really annoys me and whatever, and that's when the lawyer says she's not a credible witness. They're, we are fascinated with the evil that is this Pam is Hoff. really, because she's the sort of woman that you might meet at the cover dish supper, you know, and think, okay, yeah. you know, that's that lady from down the street. Like, there is nothing that you would see about this woman that you think this is an evil mastermind. And I mastermind gives her more credit than she probably deserves. But right. like to have come to have even decided to do those awful things to begin with. I mean, Betsy was her friend. Betsy was her friend. I mean, really. And Betsy was and beloved. Mother. Although I'll say just being a little bit bitchy and superficial. Betsy's mother says of her at the beginning of the episode, and she, I think she means it as praise. She attracted people like flies. 
don't say that about me when I die. Just I, just, I may sound nice, but I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't attract people like flies. I spend most of my life well, alone you know, in my it's apartment. Well, you know, shit that attracts yeah, that flies. Yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, um, I, you know, whatever. I had no idea what you really meant by that. I couldn't tell if it was an insult or not. Anyway, we could clearly do five episodes of our own about Pam Hoff. And we may come back to this because there's that whole podcast. It could happen. It could happen. But I think we always sort of come back to the fact that we are writers. We both write mystery and suspense and thrillers. And we are always looking to reality to look at what evil really looks like. And sometimes we elaborate or we fabricate in our pages or dress it up. This one didn't need any dressing up. This was really pure evil. This is the kind of evil critics would say was not believable in a novel. And it's meta because she actually uses Dateline as her her modus operandi in committing the final murder. Yeah, absolutely. Well... Oh, I got so breathless. I got so worked up talking about this case. I licked the pop screen. If you're at home and you don't know what that is, that is a filter that goes over our microphones to make sure our peas don't sound too intense. And I mm-hmm. licked it. I accidentally licked it because I was, hot. I was, yeah, no, when we were talking about prosecuting attorney Tim Lomar. Yeah, that would do it. Blue eyes and baby's face. So that's about all the time we have for this episode. Of In fact, that's more than the time we have for this we episode. We probably went a little over. We're trying to keep the episodes to around 50 minutes because we figure. We don't want to lose your attention to the... But, but we're blowing it because we're talking about it being <laughs> we, how long it is past the time that we planned to you stop. You know, it's just Pam's meta making us go meta. It really is what it is. So anyway, next episode of True Crime TV Club, because we're going to keep doing it for a little while here until people complain. Right. We are not... Well, I'm not complaining. I think this is a lot of fun. <laughs> it is fun, but only because you're here. I'm no fun. I'm no fun at all. I'm Mr. Rules. That's our magic. That's our secret formula. <laughs> fun and no fun. The recipe at TDPS presents. Okay, so we are returning to the ABC News family, but mm-hmm. it is not technically an episode of 2020, but it can be found in similar places. It's well, available they deserve on another chance. Okay, I, and I think they do too. It is an ABC News special called The Last Days of Phil Hartman. Ooh. If you were not familiar with the case. Hollywood. Uh, exactly. Hollywood and Encino, apparently, because that Ooh. is where the murderer. Glamorous Encino. Beautiful, <laughs> glamorous Encino. <laughs> is where Phil Hartman was murdered by his wife in 1997, which is a pretty well-known case. The Jonas Brothers just bought new homes in Encino. I wonder if they bought their old house. I wonder. I I wonder if it's still on the market. American Horror Story Jonas Brothers coming this fall from Fox. (laughs) So that you can find that episode on Hulu with a membership. Um, You can also find it at ABC.com under their ABC News specials. And uh, you get a little jumpy there, getting excited about Phil Hartman. You know, I just wanted a little more tea. You know how I feel about my tea. (laughs) the teacup was just a little too far away. Just out of reach. Just out of reach. So that is it. If you want, as we say this again and again, but it's a good reminder, if you want to sort of follow along with us, watch the special in advance, but we are going to make a concerted effort to talk about it and break it down in enough detail and hopefully with enough wit if Eric is feeling on that we'll day. Say. What, depending on what I've had for breakfast. That you will be able to appreciate it even if you haven't seen it. So anyway, that's that's all my rules stuff out it of the way. It sounds really juicy. It's really juicy, and apparently there's new video, which is why I think they're doing it. Not of the murder, but new... <laughs> new, <laughs> new live you footage. You never know these no, days. I would, I would still, we would not do that. We wouldn't do that. This is new home videos of the family taken by Phil Hartman, apparently, which have... 
recently become available to ABC News in some way. So, hmm. anyway, so next week. All right, then. All right. Until then, I'm Christopher. And I'm Eric. And you've been listening to Christopher. And Eric. Woo, we got it right. Yay. Bye. Thanks. Thanks.